This is Invest Like a Honeybee, the podcast where you learn to be smart with your money and invest wisely. Before we get started, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. I'm not an investment advisor. Please make sure you discuss any changes to your portfolio with your registered advisors. I may continue to hold stocks I discuss in this podcast or not, depending on when you listen to this podcast. This is about Invest Like a Honeybee. I'm Henry J. Speck. Let's get started. Thanks for tuning in. If you, Just a reminder, if you like the podcast, go to wherever you picked it up and let us know and rate it. And if you don't like it, do the same. Send me your comments and I'd love to chat. So just got off the treadmill and I was listening to a podcast where a gentleman was talking about how tough his life was when he started a business and he had to work, you know, sometimes 10 hours a day, didn't get a lot of sleep, his wife had to help him and how stressful it was. And I thought, sounds pretty normal to me, but according to the announcer and the entrepreneur, this was somewhat extraordinary. So I thought I would take a step back because I was thinking about this the other day, about my early experiences. Uh, especially with the economy today, it's it's somewhat similar to what was happening in the late 80s and early 90s. So in 1990, um, I'm going to just tell you what my work week was like. And just, just as a comparison, and by the way, my work week was not, I don't think, unusual. Many entrepreneurs, many businesses, business owners. And if you read the incredible book, in the back of our book, in Appendix 4, I have a list of 13 books that I think you need to read. And number 13, just because that was the order that I found it, was is called The Dan Doe Investor, The Low-Risk Value Method to High Returns by Pabri Monish, M-O-H-N-I-S-H. An amazing book because, well, for a number of reasons. But for this podcast, there's a discussion of how... A significant, the majority of motels in America are owned by descendants of one Indian family. They came over from India, uh, very little money, and it describes how they went about uh, building up their wealth. And one of the things we know is the hours worked per week. Many of the owners would work constantly. They wouldn't hire anybody. They would would work 24-7 in the motel industry because they didn't want to hire anybody. They had their own family members work. And so they would be working 24 hours a day. Sure, they'd sleep eight hours, but if someone came in at two in the morning, they would get up and give them a room. So with that, I thought I'd go back and, and just because it's uh, it's a podcast for educational purposes, I want people to get perspective. If you're working an extra job today to make ends meet or two or three jobs, well, that wasn't unusual in 1990. And let me tell you what I was doing. So I had a uh, at that time, I needed uh, cl- what were called clinical hours to be licensed as a psychologist here in Ontario. So I was working 36 hours a week in a government facility. I was working Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays from 7 to 7 because I negotiated a 12-hour shift, the only 12-hour shift in the entire facility. <laughs> and they went for it. So I was working 36 hours a week there. That was Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 12-hour shifts. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, I had picked up two, uh, no, actually four classes at the University of Western Ontario to lecture. Two professors were on sabbatical, and so I was allowed, to, they hired me to, uh, to do these classes. And I did that for a number of years, and that was on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I was in London, Ontario, so I would drive about an hour and a half, you know, do the lectures, uh, come back. Um, actually, 
I, I'm just I just found another one. I had six jobs, but I'll just talk about the first five. Um, so I, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I would do that, and then at the same time, and if you've listened to all the podcasts, you know the ice cream company failure. I had started the ice cream company, so I would work a 12-hour shift at the hospital and then drive two hours at seven o'clock at night to a one of our shops in London, Ontario to make ice cream, get home about two in the morning, get up and then drive back to London to teach at Western. So that's kind of my life back then uh, with the ice cream business. I also ran the farm. We have a, a fruit farm operation at that time, retail operation, although it was mainly a two to three month operation. It takes a year of planning. Sometimes you start pruning in March. So I was working at that as well. Plus on weekends, Michigan State University offered graduate classes in Birmingham, Michigan, Michigan, and Port Huron, Michigan. And I was lucky enough under the free trade agreement to be allowed to cross the border and teach those classes. And I would teach uh, a class or two every semester for Michigan State, but those were on Saturdays. I actually, sorry, uh, corrected. I also had one uh, that occasionally would meet at night, so I'd move my schedule around to do that as well. But that was primarily on Saturdays. So on average, in 1990, I was working 85 hours a week. There was actually prep time on top of that, so it's probably well over 100 hours a week. We had three children at home. Mary was doing her thing, taking care of everything, uh, which was unbelievable. Uh, initially, we were in a two-bedroom apartment, the five of us, um, which was a lot of interesting times. And long story short, it's what you did. You know, I, I'm just giving you an explanation here because what's happening today is not extraordinary. If you have two jobs, three jobs, four jobs, or five as I did, that's not unusual. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm gonna, maybe you can help me understand what's wrong with that. If you start a business or if you are um, needing to make extra money to pay bills or your mortgage suddenly went up or um, whatever you need to do, it's what you do. You get an extra job, and certainly today, versus 1990, you have a lot of options with regard to what job you take. There's a lot of opportunities to work, even though companies are continuing laying off people, which many of us find quite extraordinary. So if you're working more than one job, stop your whining. You know, it, it's, it's what it is. If you're an entrepreneur, expect to have to work because your business probably won't make a lot of money for a long time unless you're very fortunate and lucky. So that's my experience in 1990s or early 90s, late 80s when I was, you know, at that stage in my life. I would have been uh, probably in my uh, 30s and, uh, you know, grinding away, trying to take care of the family and trying to uh, move forward in business. And if you listen to the podcast, previous podcast, you'll know the the mushroom house helped with cash flow at that time and the other property we had. So so real estate certainly was part of helping us get through these difficult, very difficult times. So that's the podcast. Please remember to go online and, and, and oh, before we go, I just want to mention briefly, you know, the, the, the book's been really exciting and it's really helped me, particularly now as, you know, the banks are crashing. We did a podcast on that. There's all kinds of things happening. Um, and you just sit back and you know, because like the honeybees, you have security through the reserves. You want to have honey reserves, six to 12 months for your needs. And you want to uh, take care of business. And, and so that's really important. And there's one other important message 
I'm going to give you right after this short break. Remember to pick up my latest book, What Grandpa Learned from His Honeybees, the little book to be smart with your money and help the environment on Amazon or Audible. Pick it up today. I know I've talked about it before, but this coming week on Tuesday, I'm going to do a podcast with a group out of Windsor. They want me to, to sort of explain the solar business, particularly how we were able to get a uh, roof rental agreement after we sold the building to continue with the solar project. And I, it brought to mind something I learned. Now, the solar business has been around for over 13 years. We got involved about 13 years ago. And when it first came out, and I've talked about this in previous podcasts, when it first came out, I really couldn't believe it. It was a, in Ontario here. The government was saying, if you put up a solar system, we will buy the power back from you for 80 cents a kilowatt hour. And at the time, I believe we were paying an off peak time, seven or eight cents for a kilowatt hour. And I thought there has to be something wrong with this. There has to be, you know, something ridiculous going on here. And I, I, I dug deeply. I looked at, I had a lawyer look at the contracts. I had all of this going on and finally i made the decision this is this is an incredible probably once in a lifetime deal that i'm going to take advantage of and i did we put so we probably had at one time six or seven different systems under this contract because that was the main number of buildings that we had and i've added solar in different programs later but for this initial program when it came out i told everybody i pleaded with people i said could you just please look at it could you you know could you figure out a way to make this happen and can you you know it's it's a government program it's and you know the barriers people there isn't anyone i talked to that did it the only person that did it was a was a distant neighbor probably lives five kilometers away who when i put them up he investigated and he put them up and a year later i asked him i said hey well what made you put those panels up and he said and it was it was a great compliment he said well when we saw you do it we knew it would be a good investment and i thought that's cool i've never talked to guys never read any of my stuff i guess he just felt like you know we might have known what we were talking about i couldn't get anybody to do it now here's it's not only the incredible 80 cent deal so how it worked out was, let's say, and at that time it was very expensive to put up solar equipment, about $100,000 a system. And that system would produce for you anywhere from fourteen dollars to $15,000 a year in revenue. Um, now remember, that is um, for 20 years locked in, paid to you by the government. And so when you look at that program you see well that's about a 14 or 15 percent return that's that's pretty good regardless of the time guaranteed by the government that's like a bond right ontario bond and so the questions we would get would be things like well what if the government doesn't follow through i heard of a case where someone tried to do this and they didn't have enough capacity in the lines to take the power and there were all kinds of just excuses not to do it and frankly it just it made me realize that generally when it comes to family and friends it doesn't matter if you're bill gates they're not going to listen i'm certainly not bill gates they're certainly not going to listen to any advice or things that you're doing they're going to think you're you just don't know anything because you're too familiar you're a relative and you're not going to be successful and that probably bothered me the most out of all of this not that they didn't care to listen that they didn't take advantage of this opportunity not only was this an incredible business opportunity banks were lining up 
to dole out the money. The bank we were working at the time gave 100% financing with just the solar panels as the collateral. Now, they were certainly recourse loans, so if I didn't pay back the loan for the panels, they would first take the income from the panels, and if that didn't work, I'm sure they would come after me personally because these were personal projects. But long story short, that wasn't an issue. The, the big issue was banks were giving you the money without encumbering the land, so it was all about the panels, and it was the government. It was the most incredible business opportunity I have seen in a very long time, other than some real estate deals we've done, which are better. But from a government standpoint, I couldn't believe it. There are currently some uh, solar projects we're involved with that are that are extremely wonderful, different, a different thing. That $100,000 unit now costs about twenty-five dollars to install. And it's a business, it's a, it's a low and slow business now. There aren't those incredible deals as before. So now the return is about $8,000, sorry, 8% post uh, after tax, 8% return. Now, some of you may argue, well, it's just 8%. People have said this to me too when I mentioned this, the same group has said, oh my God, 8%, that's, I'm not, that's ridiculous, I'm not doing it. I say, okay, well, let's, let's talk through this on your house. Let's say you put one on your house, and I've talked again in other podcasts, but because no one listens, I thought I'll try it again. You put, you put panels on your roof, and let's say it costs you $25,000, and let's say you get $2,000 a year back in uh, credits to use for your power. So you take $2,000 off your hydro bill. Now if, and these are like 30 or 40 year contracts, whatever they are, they're not, they're not going away. So basically what happens is you're, 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 you earn money in the summer, unless you run your air conditioners really high and you use those credits throughout the year as you need them. You don't get any cash, but it's deducted from your hydro bills. It's, they're called, now they call them, I think, e-credit credits or digital credits. Now, if you think about that for a moment, you go, well, that doesn't sound incredible, but wait a minute. Uh, Pre-tax, you'd need 10 to 12% return, depending on your tax bracket, uh, because that's 8% after tax. Because frankly, currently, unless it's changed, the government changes tax laws, there's no taxes only on the $8,000, uh, the $2,000 you're making in digital credits. Um, there's some programs, some municipalities will pay for some of your solar panels to install, so you may even build them for less than $25,000. That solar program is impossible to tell anybody that I know about because they wouldn't listen to the 80 cent program. They're not gonna, and all I ask is, I mean, I remember going to the condo corp. We had a condo, horrible place to live if you're thinking of buying something that has any long-term value. And as I say in many podcasts, I would never invest in a condo. I mean, if you are good for you, but the typical condo corp board is a great deal like uh, burnt out politicians who really have no interest in the group. They're more, some of them are self-serving. There's a lot of quibbling. Many have no experience in business. Long story short, I went to the condo people in the office and I said, look, and this was in Collingwood, there's this solar program, 80 cent kilowatt hour. If you put it on the roof of our condos, buildings, we had, and there were only two story, I believe, walk-ups, three max. So there was a lot of roof room in this condo court. And they just dismissed it. Man, we consider it now. You could take up care of the majority of the condo fees by installing this, these solar 
panels for 20 years. No, not Nadal. I think they didn't like the appearance. I mean, this is a condo corp where if you hung a towel out on your balcony, they would come and tell you it's against the, the rules. And if you did it again, they'd fine you. Or I don't know what they could actually do to you. But this is the stupidity of people who run these kinds of organizations. So please, if you're in a condo corp, just, I don't know. I'm just telling you, I would never be in one. And they're not investments, in my opinion. Long story short, there are many opportunities that do come around. And when they do come around, I shouldn't say many, but when opportunities come around, you need to be able to take advantage of them and really take advantage of them to your benefit. Now, back to the initial part, you know, as we're getting into these difficult times, don't be afraid to do what you have to do to take care of business. That's that's taking control of your situation. You know, sitting back and waiting for help from government or whoever is is not going to work. It, it's going to put you in that victim position and not going to make you feel empowered and add to depression, anxiety and other feelings. So take control of it. Don't wait for the government to bail you out. Um, as I as I um, do this podcast on March 25th, we're just a few days away from the new federal budget here in Canada, which probably is going to be more taxes, less opportunities to invest. So assume the government's not coming to your rescue. Banks certainly are cutting back on lending with what's going on. So you need to step it up, get another job. You know, if you're going to start a business, make sure it cash flows. Don't do a business that's going to require a huge initial startup cost. You know, as we approach the summer now, develop a service business. I've always told people there's such a service to take care of uh, people aging in place. You know, 95% of Canadians do not want to live in, in a nursing or retirement home. They want to age in place. So what does that mean? They want someone to take care of their grass, their trees, uh, come in and check on them once in a while. You can develop a whole business on a service business that won't require more than a cell phone and maybe a lawnmower. So so I, I encourage people to take on that, that type of service industry business and uh, stay away from things that you can't touch and feel and... Um, be profitable right out of the chute. I'm Hank for Shrink Money Advice. You have an amazing week and we will talk soon and stop your whining. Remember to pick up my latest book, What Grandpa Learned from His Honeybees, the little book to be smart with your money and help the environment on Amazon or Audible. Pick it up today. <laughs>